Thank you for joining us. This is episode 12 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are myself, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom, Chris Weber, and Kevin Buckner. How's everyone doing today? Doing well. How are you? It's all good. Episode of podcast. Yeah. We decided to see. You know, I should have seen that coming since we're approaching Christmas, and I didn't. (laughs) Um, While we're on the subject of Christmas, we're going to have a couple of special episodes because both Christmas and New Year's fall on the weekend, and we're going to give everyone a break from depending on this. So uh, we got one of those announcements that I mentioned before, and we're going to have a... We've discussed a couple of ideas. I guess I shouldn't announce it yet, but... uh, We'll have some special episodes coming up for the new year and Christmas this year. And then after that, we'll see if we can jump back in the routine of doing this every weekend. So sounds good. Yeah. All right. uh, Chris, you got any projects you worked on this week? Holy moly, dude. So I've been good. um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where I start getting good at something and now I'm backed up. So, uh, yeah, that key that I'd made my wife, mm-hmm. uh, I got, I had the wrong screw. It wasn't quite long enough. It was the right threads, but it wasn't quite long enough. So all the plastic kind of popped loose and I need to glue it together just a little bit and put in a screw that is long enough to mm. hold our key together properly. But we have like three keys for that car, so it's not really an issue. Okay. Um, uh, I've been printing Christmas gifts this week. Um, so uh, in case my family's listening, I'm not going to say what they are, but I will be. <laughs> I will be printing. I just barely got some new plastic to start printing up all the Pokemon things that the daughter is interested in. Nice. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something else. Oh. Um, Christmas cards. I'm actually printing some of those flatbed, you know, flat Christmas cards that you kind of snap, snap apart and make things out of. I'm printing okay. those up. Yeah, I just barely. I figured out my print at height code for Cura so that I can have it pause at certain heights and then change the color so that you end up with a three colored print. Well, that's cool. So, yeah, though that's that... supposed to happen tonight. Doing that, is that how you found the Krampus card? Yeah, actually. (laughs) The Krampus card on Thingiverse, that was... (laughs) That thing is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I was enjoying it very much myself. I may actually have to tell my nieces and nephews the legend of Krampus this year. They're old enough (laughs) to appreciate it. Yeah, and that's how I found those uh, bells and ornaments also by uh, Lazus. So thingiverse.com slash Lazus. He uh You wanna spell that out? Dazus, sorry. D-A-Z-U-S. Uh he uh just barely posted at the beginning of the month a whole bunch of really cool Christmas things. There's, you know, bells, ornaments, quite a few things. That that guy, he is a designer and he threw a bunch of free stuff up on Thingiverse for people, and that is like super cool. And actually, I had one of his tops on my list a little while ago. And he, he just likes to design. Yeah, design. Wow. 
I like words today. Design cool. lattice shapes. So fun stuff. Yep. So I've been working on that and and gifts, and I will be for the next couple of weeks. So that's me. So you pronounce it GIF instead of GIF? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to start giving otherwise... people people who say GIF, I'm going to start giving a real hard time whenever they use the word gift around me. I'm going to say <laughs> Start calling them out on it. You get peanut butter coming out of your ports. What's going on, man? Yeah. <laughs> if it's a GIF, then uh, you enjoy your GIFs. <laughs> or maybe we should just unironically start pronunciating them gifts <laughs> <laughs> see if anybody else gets the joke that's good that's uh good. yeah it would only be a thing when we all come up for a gift exchange gift exchange <laughs> <laughs> well i do know a lot of techies so if i start calling them christmas gifts i think they'll actually get it probably yeah Sweet. uh andy you done anything this week I actually haven't used my printer a whole lot this week, unfortunately. In fact, the um, uh, I still have it sitting in the same position it was when we recorded the last podcast. And that did remind me of something that you had asked me to mention uh, while I was there uh, or while we did the podcast last week. And I never did. So I could squeeze that in here. Um I ran into a situation where I, I keep all my old reels of plastic. When they're empty, all the reels that are different, that way when I am near the end of a reel and I want to make sure I have enough plastic on it, I can weigh on my little Mel scale, my letter scale, the empty reel of the same type and then be able to see how much is actually on one of the other reels. That way I could, you know, use what Kira says, you know, how much plastic I need and that way I'd know if that reel you know, we'll, we'll have enough plastic. And right now on my printer, I've got about two inches of PLA sticking out of the top of the, the carriage because that's where it ended when the print was done because that calculation was quite precise. And that's a, a good usage or a good thing that you could use to know if you're coming up, you know, if you've got enough plastic on a reel or not. I would definitely it, recommend it. Which is really brilliant because, I mean, what I've been doing is I – do a print first and I kind of eyeball the reel and go, okay, it took about a third of a reel-ish, so. <laughs> well, you, just just remember, Chris, the outside diameter is much longer than the inside diameter. <laughs> yes, it's like playing a record. A Actually, records, I don't think records vary in speed as you get near the end, so the outside I, is the same as the inside. Yeah, I know. That's the joke. Oh, oh okay. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, well, that one flew over my head. <laughs> the speed is the same, Andy. The distance is not. There's an old Calvin comic, but Calvin and Hobbes comic. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, you did no, do I'm... something. Uh, sorry, you did do something really cool this week, and you did it for me because my laptop oh. was down and I couldn't use SolidWorks. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Chris asked me to design something for him in his bathroom, a little... Uh, a caddy that goes on the sink. And so we sat down and, and uh, he drew up some drawings for me with some measurements and, and we designed it. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. I love playing with SolidWorks and designing stuff like that. So I appreciate I really, you, you let me do that for you. I really appreciate you doing that for me. Cause you know, my, 
my laptop casing broke and I took my laptop apart and my laptop is the only computer I had SolidWorks on. So I was like, ah, she had had it up to, up to here with the mess my daughter had in the bathroom and says, we need a caddy for uh, all her stuff. No, that's a good so, idea. I uh, me and the wife live downstairs. Our bedroom and stuff is downstairs. We got our own private bathroom down there, but the kids involved or, you know, utilize the upstairs bathroom and they kind of made it their own. And so I, I get it when you say what kind of mess kids could make out of the bathroom. Yeah. If you can have your own bathroom for your kids, you should do that. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> Cause it's going to go to hell and you just, you just kind of give up and clean it once a week. It's about the only thing you could do. Cause if you try to keep up with it, it's going to be a disaster. But yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me do that. I, I know, me and uh, Frank were probably going to battles on who would be able to the one to sit down and design that because we both love to design things. So anytime, you guys, if you need anything designed that uh, that you don't want to do yourself, we're definitely only a, a phone call away. Thank you. I, you know, while I sent you a picture of what I intended to have for my design, you know, and having worked with a lot of blueprints, I, I, I think it made sense to you. And yeah. it seems like it did like right away. So. Yeah, I think what I came up with, uh, some of the mistakes that I made that you corrected me on were pure ignorant things and me not reading stuff correctly had nothing to do with your drawing. So that's yeah, what you were. The X and Y on that hole. Yeah. Yeah. But, I made yeah. some assumptions on that thinking that um, it was like, an, so part of the caddy uh, looked to me initially that it was going to hold toothbrushes. And so the position of your hole didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I made assumptions and made, you know, an ass out of myself. Um, by putting the hole on the bottom instead on the side and then sloping that whole chamber so liquid would drain out of it and things like that. And then you pointed out, like, that's not the purpose for that. It's supposed to hold the charger <laughs> for an electric toothbrush. That's what that's for. Oh, okay, yeah. my bad. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what I get for assuming. But I really appreciate you doing that. Well, my oh, of course. laptop's all torn apart. I'm actually thinking I'm going to take that hard drive and just stick it in my... Um, in my printer computer in my office computer so that you know it has everything i need and everything that i'd been doing with my laptop and over on that computer and then get something new for my laptop and or a new laptop because finding a case for that thing is stupid expensive or we're uh, with uh, andy to design one <laughs> Unrelated to podcasting. Oh, and I got a project coming up here for this next week uh, while Kevin's yammering. I'll, I'll go grab it so I can show you guys. But when it comes to laptops, too, I had my, my work laptop. Now, my work provides really crappy laptops, so I provide my own. So when something happens to it, it's my responsibility to fix it. But uh, I open and close the screen on it a lot and uh, had broken the screen. And then when I went to go replace the screen on it, it was like the cost of the screen was almost the cost of a brand new used laptop of the same condition. So I wound up spending a couple hundred extra bucks on it and getting one that was even better than the one I had. It just wasn't worth repairing it when, you know, a couple hundred bucks would get you a much, much better newer one. So I, I hear you when you're thinking like, eh, just maybe just get a new machine altogether. <laughs> yeah. Except this is just the plastic casing. <laughs> oh, that's it for that's broken on this one. Yeah, everything else works great. Oh, jeez. Uh, I 
I I think it was just a short-lived particular model, and because the replacement casing I did get that is wrong actually has metal reinforcements on those hinges that you know made all the plastic break. Oh, but yeah, it get with Andy. Get with Andy. Print one out. It's better than welding it like he tried to do with that one machine. Hey, you know what? That machine, I got my my kid is using that machine right now to learn coding on. And um, it's still kicking butt. That machine I bought, what, back in, I think, like, 2004. And then upgraded it so badly with even components that don't belong inside that machine. It's a nightmare. But you know what? It's over here. Still running Windows 10. And, uh, oh, you ain't playing games on it, but doing everything else. It's like a Mad Max of uh, laptops. No kidding. So anyway, I want to show this to you guys. I know the, the listeners can't see this, but this could be my project probably in the next couple of weeks here. Is, uh, excuse me. Sorry, I just ran out outside, so I'm out of, out of breath here. I had to run to my work car. but You're not even was... a smoker anymore. What's your excuse oh, but... this time? What the listeners don't know is I'm fat, so God, running it all is just like, oh, man, you walk all day. What do you mean you're fat? Yeah, that's funny yeah. too. I got a very high cardio job where I got to move like six or seven miles a day. But when I was running out to the car, I was trying not to breathe so the mic wouldn't pick it up, so I wasn't <sighs> breathing. And now I am talking a lot where I'm not breathing right, so that's that's what's adding to me being out of breath. But anyway, he doesn't. I was. What's that? No muddy button. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. I could hit the mute. My brain's not working right today. So I was out on a job site on Friday, and um, I found this tool on the side of the road. It's a handheld Milwaukee battery-operated, multi-purpose, isolated cutter tool. I've yeah. wanted one of these for a long time. Someone and just I wanted lost a 200 bucks on the freeway. These things are expensive as hell. But uh, what made me pick it up and keep it was, if you look at the back of it here, it's completely busted up where the battery connects. I think Probably. for most people, this is a completely destroyed tool. So Probably I didn't feel bad about work truck. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't, yeah, but I didn't see any parts around. I definitely checked around to see if I could find a battery or find the other pieces of the the part that holds the battery. But, so, so you're this saying is, it was trash instead of quote-unquote fell off the truck yeah well, has yeah this is pretty car. broken i highly doubt anybody's going to plan to fix this in fact i even stared at it for like 10 minutes thinking i don't even know if i should try to repair this but the part where the battery connects is completely destroyed but the rest of the tool seems to be in complete working order so it's got a nice I motor and head on it yeah so i'm thinking i'm going to just cut this back end flush and 3D print a uh, battery compartment. I'll have to check to see what power output these Milwaukee's take. But uh, right now in this condition, um, I can take a battery that I use for my other equipment, even if it's not Milwaukee, if it's near the same voltage and can provide about the same amount of amperage and make it take whatever you know batteries I'm currently using without having to worry about using a Milwaukee one since this one's completely destroyed on the only part that really requires a Milwaukee charger. Yeah. So. Well, looking at that end, I could convert it to my Craftsman stuff pretty easy, actually. Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, it's got a, a four, a four-pin battery plug on it, but uh, you know, it doesn't look too bad. And the rest of the tool looks kind of beat up, but uh, like you say, it's a two hundred dollar 
double insulated Milwaukee multi-tool and I've wanted one for a while. So I'm going to try to fix this one and 3D print my way out of, out of this problem. We'll see how that goes over the next couple of weeks. Spend, Side note. Spend if, $3 if, worth of plastic on it and be able to use the tool. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, Side no note, kidding. though. You even if you had found the battery after that kind of impact, you wouldn't want to use it. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. However, I love finding batteries like that because I pull them apart and then take the cells out of them because that's one of the best places to find good cells. If you ever replace a laptop battery or stuff like that, I'm you guys, not the average user, but those of us who could take stuff like this apart without being a fire hazard. Wait, uh, wait slow down, slow down. You don't fit in that category, Andy. I didn't say me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Andy is a walking fire hazard. We all know that I need to be doing this stuff outside because it will catch fire for me. <laughs> you know, i.e. the story of that laptop you just welded while it was still running. Yeah, you, you did know, that in your I, shop. I outside. needed to make sure that it was still going to work. And I've got it right here. I'm showing on with the old weld marks all over the hinges and stuff. Yeah, this is this is a great old machine. <laughs> still Which functioning funny, perfectly. Because yeah. yeah, even though even with those weld marks, it's in better condition than my laptop. So. <laughs> oh, geez. I've got I've got you can see see the motherboard that came with it didn't even have the right jack placement. So I've got like holes cut into the side of the case for ports to stick through and stuff. This is. A nightmare machine, but it's still working, still kicking. Looks butt. like the power supply's been played with just a little bit to yeah, make the it work. It's been replaced, and yeah, yeah, it's updated nice. a few times. You know what? I've still got a couple of a couple of those hanging around. If you ever need another one, Andy. Oh, you know what? I I've got tons of those. I just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it at the moment. It's working fine. It's. <laughs> Or it's not fraying or anything like that. It's just been repaired. And I use, you know, a green shrink tube on it. So it looks repaired. And I think that's the only problem with it. So I'm all wow. about the DIY and fixing stuff and making it last forever. <laughs> so that machine's not going to die anytime soon. I think it's the only laptop in my whole house that has a CD-ROM. Yeah, because nobody right. uses CD-ROMs anymore. Yeah. Optical mm -hmm. media was outmoded. Hi, I'm nobody. Ago. I'm nobody. <laughs> I have CD players all over my house. Wow. Are they all <laughs> connected to anything? All but like one, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Oh, no, I've got like two or three in my office that are disconnected, but you know, I've got uh, DVD ROMs on each of my computers, and I've got one in my stereo in my garage, but that was like an old car stereo that I'd not rigged, rigged up. And there's the one I've got uh, a stereo downstairs that plays lots of old stuff. The only thing it doesn't play is eight tracks. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I did pull it aside. I've got an old laptop CD-ROM inside of an external housing that makes it a USB CD-ROM. And I've got that downstairs in my drawer, a complete working unit, because every once in a while I will need a CD-ROM. And that's the one I actually use for, for stuff like that whenever I need one. So yeah, I do have one, too, on hand just in case. But I don't think I have any CDs. However, you guys, by chance, uh, those of us who don't use CD-ROMs, do you still have your last spool of CDRs or DVDRs that you just never got through and can't find a reason to throw out? Oh, I found a reason to throw them out. 
Oh really? Yeah, I've got some downstairs on my desk. It's just like thinking, well, I might, I might burn something someday. I don't know. Yeah, I said yeah. that for like well, a year, maybe two, and I moved them five times. And I was like, why am I moving these? I'm not opening the thing. I only see them when I move, so I threw them away. <laughs> well, good. Good. you know, I well, my, my as you guys know, my father-in-law is rather technologically challenged, and so every so often he wants a CD or a DVD copied or something like that. So, you know, I've got a good to have it on hand. Been slowly working through for the last. Yeah, I don't know, decade. That's good. <laughs> well, it used to be the thing to get the b- most value out of it. You'd buy a stack of 300 of them. Yeah. And then 100. use them for a year. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd, I'd get a stack of hundreds, and I'm just barely getting down to the last 10 on each one. Fun, fun. So, Kevin. Yes. Have you, have you had any projects this week? Um, right now I'm actually printing one of those lattice bells we were talking about earlier. Okay. So, uh, I'm doing it as we speak, but I got a new mic, so I, I don't think it's coming through. Uh, cause okay. you may remember that my printer is kind of loud. Oh, it's running right now. Yeah. Oh no, we, we can't hear it. At yeah, least I, I can't. Cancellation is working good. Well, good it's deal. not really noise cancellation. It's just that it's a different mic. So I, I had been using the mic that's integrated into my webcam before, but I figured out how to get the mic on my headset working. And so it's got it right next to my mouth. And so that it probably doesn't have the same kind of sensitivity as the uh, webcam mic. So what was wrong with your mic on your headset? Um, so it's it's got the uh, the headphone and mic jack all in one but my computer has a separate jack for the two and so i got a splitter and so i could plug it into the the headphone jack on my computer and or the port and i could plug the other part of the splitter into the uh mic port and uh and, oh. it, and it made it work sure i thought i was pulling you into something embarrassing who was nope. it I was talking to that was struggling with their headset? That was me. It had, had been for three years and oh. realized, oh, there's a switch on the headset to turn off the mute. I had been struggling with it for three months, not three years. Oh, I thought it was much longer than that. No. But, and I, there was somebody I was talking to who had the problem where it was a switch. Yeah, I, I did find the switch. Oh. I did have this problem where I was having issues with my wireless headset input versus my uh, webcam input, but it turns out it was just a little little Windows setting that I had to change, but that was like only a five-minute issue. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... I know earlier, Frank, you were telling me about the stuff you've been doing this last couple of weeks where you got to use up all that uh, copper and gold filament you didn't know what to do with. Yeah, um, I got a because I took some of those lattice bells to Thanksgiving and my sister-in-law loved them so much. She asked for a dozen in both the copper and the gold. Um, so I got a bunch of those done. And then 
in the process of um, changing the mail station into just a key holding station. Um, I got a couple of prototypes run off for that. And the one that was made out of copper was just the right color for her. And she's like, no, this is great. Let's put it up on the wall. I was like, oh, this was a prototype, but okay. So we put the prototype into production, quote unquote, and just, you know, put it up on the wall. It actually turned out pretty good. And that's actually all I did this week. Otherwise, it's been a really slow week, actually. That's all. It's still always awesome when you print something up and it works the first go around. Oh, no, it, it was the third prototype that I was happy. You know, it, it was the one I was showing off because it worked the way I expected it to. And it was just a good enough color that she's like, yeah, let's use that. Otherwise, it was going to be black. So the copper, nice. were, the copper was a very dark copper. Um, not like the red copper that a penny normally is. It was more, um, like when the penny starts to oxidize, but it hasn't turned green yet. So it's really dark. That was more the color of this copper. So, yeah, when you, when you posted pictures, I wasn't sure if it was 3d printed or if it was wood. Yeah. I thought it was brown. It's a really uh, nice color. Very near brown. Yeah. I did come across an interesting curiosity this week. Um, I was wondering, I've been wondering about recycling, you know, just throwing my scrap into the recycling bin. And um, it actually came up on as a subject, partially anyway, for one of my podcasts. And so I, I dug into a little bit. And as it turns out, um, Number one, I think that the recycling conversation is likely to come back several times in the life of this podcast. We'll figure it out. Um, there was something to note. Um, most municipal, municipal, because I like big words, most municipal recycling programs don't process thermal plastics, like at all. Um, in cases like PETG, the variant is considered more of a contaminant. So like they'll, they'll take water bottles and food plastic and that sort of thing, and they'll process it, but they don't like the PETG. And if any of it gets mixed in with the regular PET variants, it'll actually lower the thermal uh, boundary for melting, and that becomes problematic. Um, so, you know, anybody who decides they want to try to recycle, you know, because it, it's being mindful of your waste, um, make sure that you con consult with your local municipal recycling programs and make sure that they'll use it. Um, you know, this so. may be something that'll come up later. I'm, well, it will come up later, I'm sure, but you know. Um, we could possibly, uh, have your own sort material, you know, your own waste material sort bins and, um, use your own, you know, chop them up and remelt them into a usable filament sort of thing. Anyway, I, it's a thought I've been having for a while, actually, for just regular household plastics and you could in integrate your old printing filament and 
you know, stuff you wouldn't normally use. Like, you know, like I have loads and loads of uh, wipes and a couple of growing prints, you know, just little bits of scraps from normal printing that are in my garbage bin in my office. And I've been thinking, well, these are all PLA, you know, if I could just melt them back down into a usable filament, hey, there's more filament for just stuff I don't care what it looks like. You can get the bulk um, chips, just regular unmelted at all chips of a PLA or PETG or stuff like that and mix it in to revitalize it a little bit, get a few, you know, one or two extra prints out of it. But the problem is, is with the thermal plastics, once it's been heated up, it is chemically different from how it was on the spool. Yeah, it's like baking Um, a cake. But uh, I, was it you, Chris, that shared a video of somebody who made a strip out of a uh, plastic drinking bottle? It was like a Sprite bottle or something. Yeah, it's actually kind of popular. Pushed it through a nozzle and, you know, made some filament out of that. And it it worked it's just regular pet but it was really um, tedious to get yeah. the filament and yeah. there there are other diy options out there um there was somebody i was talking to about it and they were saying that probably the hardest thing about it is the diameter of the filament like a the bigger producers what they'll do to control the filament is they'll adjust the tension on the spool rather than pushing it through a nozzle and expecting the nozzle to control the diameter um right because basic thermodynamics is you know things expand when they get hot so you know you're getting hot and then getting a certain diameter out you don't want to try to control that with a well, and if there's more tension on the spool side as it comes out, then it'll go smaller. Like you can yeah, do that with metals and that cools. sort of thing. So it, mm-hmm. it reduces yep. the diameter to what you expect. Um, Which is a uh, basic thing, actually, I learned with aluminum extrusion, too, is when they push something through an extrusion, they'll have that slightly oversized to, and then compensate for when it's pulled and stretched across the extrusion uh you know uh area where they pull it and cut it Mm. so they'll they'll have a certain tension for whatever said um dies that it's pushed through and that is taken into account to stretch it out to the desired uh parameters thickness essentially Mm -hmm. um and most of the DIY systems also, uh, stepping back a little bit, they use a repurposed uh, paper shredder to chip up the um, the plastic. And I can't help but wonder if something bigger would be more appropriate. Um, and my first thought was, was well, and they've got the the big shredders that they use for metal, you know, throw a boat into and it'll shred the thing up um yeah. i was actually thinking about repurpose repurposing a couple of camshafts old camshafts yeah. you know yeah um well and 
there's really no reason we couldn't say, well, aside from cost, obviously, couldn't uh, contract with an actual machine shop to make it uh, sh the shredder uh, spools. Um, after we design them, you know, at the right size and put it, you know, it could be a hand crank thing even to get them to the right size. So just something to think about. Yeah. Let's do a little more research on that and then put that into our, hey, you know, let's think about recycling things episode. Yeah, uh, we could do that for sure. It's a good idea. We'll put it on the list. The list. Um, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the list is life. The life is list. That didn't work so well. It sounded uh, better in my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we do have a designated topic this week. Uh, we voted and decided that extruder types would be a good episode. Um, I'm guessing that the average didn't take Kevin into account for that because uh, yeah, that was that was one that I ranked fairly low on my uh, personal important scale. <laughs> yeah, um, although you know, I I did send you guys a link for a couple of different kinds. There's so there's the uh, uh, the SLA, the stereolithography, and then there's the mast uh, stereolithography. I was looking at and you know basically vat polymerization um and I was looking at it a little bit and I was like well you know Kevin's is actually not necessarily an SLA per se because um the SLA I was reading here uses mirrors and galvanometers um to control the x and y-axis where as opposed to what kevin does you know on the uh, photon is actually simply a uv hardening uh screen which you know both of those axes are controlled by that single screen as and, and then the z-axis is controlled by uh the uh the, the fep in the build plate so it's like um it's not necessarily SLA, but I guess it just was kind of thrown in that direction. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, you don't actually have any mirrors in your uh, in your photon there, do you, Kev? Nope. Oh. Well, and something that I guess has not come up in our podcast yet, but um, each producer, especially when you're talking commercial-level uh, printers, um, they come out with their process and they give it an acronym that doesn't apply to any other technology that's out there. So they've got this unique technology that can do the thing and there's no standard naming convention. So the powder bed printers are, you know, calling them powder bed is a very high level description. And then they all have a subtype that is, you know, yeah. proprietary. Well, see, and um, what I was confused about is in this article I was reading about, it says most SLA printers use a solid-state laser to cure parts. And that's an, F an FEP is not a laser. It's a UV, UV exposure, hmm. right? 
Well, the, the FEP is the, uh, the film that goes at the bottom of the, uh, the resin vat. So it, the UV exposure comes directly from the screen below right. the FEP. Right. So you have a screen that gives you a, a 3D exposure. So does, does that... Well, the screen gives a 2D exposure. Right. This, okay. So what I'm saying is the screen, does the screen, uh, uh, does the screen emit a light farther, you know, through the whole vat, or does it just extrude a light as it moves through the vat? Um, so the build plate at the beginning of the print makes contact with the FEP, or very nearly. The screen lights up for a given number of seconds, and then as the layers go the build plate will raise up to pull the cured resin off of the FEP and then it'll lower down again so that the the most recently printed part makes contact and then the screen lights up and like that. Okay, yeah, so this basically uses a a curing screen that comes across the bottom of the vat as opposed to a uh um a laser that you know right Right. So There's no laser. All, right. Which is why I'm thinking yours is more like a digital light processor as opposed to an SLA. It does sound like a, a reasonable description. Yeah, because yep. the DLP uses a digital light projector to flash a single image of each la- of each layer. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we have the internet at our fingertips. We can see yeah, that's what they what call it. It's an ender what? It's a... Any cubic photon S. So yeah, I was thinking that 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 is more like a DLP than it is an SLA. Well, but, yeah, your your uh, description of DLP that that's what's going on. Yeah, except for <laughs> it is billed as an SLA, LCD based SLA 3D printer. So <laughs> this is where. <laughs> The proprietary company naming conventions kind of there. There needs to be a more specific naming convention at some point, right? But which is but they're really yeah, just which not is a, funny. a big enough technology yet. I think for any kind of oversight like that. Yeah, because uh, supposedly ISO twenty sixteen. Let's see what are these numbers here are supposed to. Um, yeah, ISO ASTM. Five five two nine hundred is supposedly the standard to standardize all of these types. So why Kevin's is listed as an SLA versus a DLP is confusing. Because because any cubic gets to call it whatever they want. Yes, that's kind of neat <laughs> understanding that because I, I didn't really know what SLA even really stood for. And when you say SLA, I just think resin printer, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, to find out that uh, just listening to you guys that, yeah, it's, it's a DLP printer. And I've never yeah. even heard of DLP before. That's pretty yeah. cool to know. Yeah. And that's probably why uh, they persist in calling it SLA, because people have come to associate SLA with liquid resin printing. And yeah, um, so the standard is there. We're one step closer now. All there needs to be is some kind oh. of way to to enforce it. Right. Wait. 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 No. Here's the caveat. I actually, I it's later down in the article. I actually skimmed over this earlier, and I shouldn't have. So, uh, for shame. 
<laughs> well, similar to DLP, actually, so this does not caveat. This this is not a caveat. This is uh, an MSLA uh, can uh, under condition under certain conditions achieve faster print times compared to SLA. So, what is MSLA then? Masked stereolithography, uh. and it uses an LED array as its light source, shining UV light through an LCD screen. Displaying a single layer mask, layer slice as a mask. So okay. that actually sounds more like what you're yeah. using. Yeah, that that does sound like what I'm doing. Which is an MSLA, hmm. not SLA. Okay. So ah. semantics now. Yeah. Hey. Wow. Semantics are important. Well, the scientist would say that. Scientist <laughs> and writer. <laughs> actually, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm dealing with aerospace parts now, and yes, the details can make a big difference. <laughs> well, and, and that's what you learn with any kind of technology, right? Um, I can't tell you how long it took to convince my wife that words are important when it comes to technology. You can say this thing, but if you start describing something else, you shouldn't have used that word because the word is important. <laughs> right. And now she struggles with making that clear to her own coworkers who are also in tech. So just keeps things interesting. <laughs> so uh, our topic this week, extruder types. Kind of got into that a little bit with the uh, different resin types. Andy, you, you tend to be more uh, knowledgeable generally about this. Uh, what kind of um, FDM extruder types do you know about? Uh, well, uh, first off, I'd like to say that when people talk about extruders, I mean, we're talking about, you know, word technicalities and things like that, that uh, I think the extruder is realistically only the nozzle itself. When people say extruder in 3D printers, though, I think we talk mostly about the actual fil filament feeder that feeds it into the extruder, uh, which, you know, the nozzle, the head unit, that kind of thing. So it, it's more or less, like, I, I think, the feeder that we're talking about today when we're talking about extruders. I mean, pretty much most of the nozzles and hot ends that we, you know, the actual extruding part of it is pretty similar at this point. There's not a whole lot of changes. I mean, look at, you know, multiple filament extruders and things like that that do some neat things but generally speaking most of us just use a single filament one and they're all pretty close to the same but when it comes to feeders there's there's quite a, a lot a few different really important different kinds and the three main ones i've had any use with is uh, a bowden style feeder a direct drive feeder and remote drive feeders all very different um the uh, the Bowden style feeder is where you got the actual motor and the part that grips into the plastic off of the carriage, and it pushes the filament in through a um, a tube, which is the Bowden tube that leads over to the actual carriage itself. So that way you can keep the weight of the motor of uh, the feeder off of the carriage, and um, you know a lot of systems like Delta systems will use that. But, uh, you know, it does come with some problems because some filaments like flexible filaments will be like trying to push a wet noodle through a tube 
and that that could cause a lot of a lot of problems and when you get to the direct drive systems then you know those tend to be much better you are pushing the filament more closely to the actual hot end and uh, those you know can can solve a lot of problems with the wet noodle issue but uh, but then you've got the weight of the motor of the feeder on the carriage itself and that that could be kind of a problem and that has been tried to that has tried to been resolved by using remote drive systems where you will keep the motor off of the carriage and have the motor drive a cable directly um you know spinning a cable and that Bowden system will go to the carriage where it will you know be geared into the the part that grips the plastic and and pushes it in there so that pretty much just takes the motor and makes the motor from the feeder remote and you know separates that right off feeder into two separate ones yeah and, and i i've used I've used all three different kinds. My original TiVo Tornado was a uh, Bowden-style printer, and that caused me lots of problems trying to print flexible materials and things, um, wet noodle problem. And uh, I, I was really wanting to print with speed. I didn't want to go with direct drive. And so I wound up going to a remote drive system using the Zesty Nimble setup. And uh, that was a, a really neat system. It takes all the weight of the the stepper motor off of the carriage and uh, allows you to have a direct drive system without the weight of the motor. But um, I wound up having some problems with Zesty Nimbles uh, wearing through on me uh, because, I mean, the, the motor is spinning that cable inside of that Bowden tube and it's geared down quite substantially because there's a lot of slack in that system. So in order to get, you know, precise movements out of the filament, it's got to be geared down quite a bit. So there's a lot of movement on it. You, you wind up can't really extruding filament very fast because of the, the limitations of how fast you can get a, a stepper motor to turn. And so that one caused me a few issues. And then I finally been 3D printing long enough to realize speed is an enemy, not a solution. And just slow the heck down and you'll be so much happier. You know, you, you take that 40-minute print and make it an hour, and it's actually no different in your schedule and how long it actually feels like it takes to print, but it makes all the difference in the quality of the part. Exactly. Yeah. You know, a lot of the stuff I print, just I just let it go overnight or start it in the morning and I go to work and come back, and it's done when I come back from work, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they already take so long that you're going to have to use that kind of schedule. So... What's the bad part of, you know, 40 minutes or an hour long print? They're basically the right. same amount of time. So, oh, And those small prints you were talking about, like the uh, TPU gaskets or whatever, you know, what's five minutes versus 15? You know, it doesn't change a lot of what you were doing. Yeah, so. exactly. So I want to go on that route and using some, you know, off-brand uh, Chinese um, extruders. I think I used the Winsys. Um, I don't know what to call the part that actually grips the plastic. I will call it the gripper for this conversation because I don't know what else it's actually called. But, uh, you know, using a normal uh, NEMA 17 stepper motor and uh, a Winsys uh, gripper I would um, call on the carriage. Feed, I would call that the feed gear or something like that. Hey, there you go. I like that, the feed gear. I but, mean, we uh, could using... look up a diagram real quick if everyone really cares. Yeah, but I think you run into the problem with everybody calling it something different, too, like them calling it the extruder, you know? 
but, but actually uh, on on the subject of extruder that kind of makes sense to me because they turn it into a verb and the whole assembly achieves that verb by making the plastic be extruded through the nozzle so yeah but thinking but, in mechanical terms i would call it a feed gear yeah because it grips the plastic directly and moves it through yeah but the the original one i started off with was essentially a a very short Bowden tube system with the, you know, feeder on the carriage. And uh, I was still having a little bit of the wet noodle problem. And I fought that for a little while. And I was showing, sharing pictures of it with you guys and stuff like that. And I wound up moving over to an, the H2 extruder system, which uh, still uses, or I could still use a, a V8 hot end on it, which is great. That's what I like. But um, it, it doesn't really have a cold end of the head. It uses the, the feed gear housing as the, the cold end side of it. And I, I really liked that, except in all my old systems, I had taken the, the cold side of the hot end and water cooled it um, to try to help with my wet noodle problems. You know, if you can get the, uh, the flexible filament rather cold, it gets a little bit stiffer and easier to use. That's why I've got a below ambient temperature water cooling system on my printer. I use a couple of Peltier cool, you know, uh, plates to, to keep it about 40 to 30 degrees. And uh, yes, I do have to deal with uh, buildup of condensation on the cold end, but it was helping with the wet noodle problem. And uh, Is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? Fahrenheit, I'm sorry. Okay. When it comes to working with temperatures, I tend to stick with Fahrenheit. It makes a little well, bit more sense in my head. Well, there's no there's no problem using tools and toys to take care of your wet noodle problem. <laughs> God. But uh, so I, I moved over to that, that system, the H2 system, and they also have a water-cooled version of that. And what's kind of neat is that H2 system uses a NEMA... 14 instead of a NEMA 17 and it's geared down and uh, ever since I've installed that I've absolutely loved the H2 uh, water-cooled system. I think it's they actually called it the H2O which is kind of silly but also makes perfect sense right. and uh, I've been using that ever since so I've got a very small direct drive extruder with the distance between the feed gear and the hot end is like 15 millimeters, maybe 20 millimeters. It's a very, very short distance. So you and get real, a lot of good accuracy with the feet then. But it's, yeah, still a yeah. but it's still a Bowden style system, right? Not at no, all. That, that one's direct feed. So now no, it's that. direct feed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much direct feed. It's 15 millimeters or so between the release of the, gear, the feed gear where it was gripping it to where it actually melts in the melt zone. And that, so, that's yeah. actually the design that I've always had. That, that's the one I bought with my Oh, nice. So. Nice. Right. But I, I love one, that. And you can broke. run the... Oh, sorry. The, I'm uh, just saying, mine was direct feed from the get-go. But uh, yeah, so you were saying you can run what? Oh, so the NEMA 14 is a much smaller stepper motor, a lot less horsepower, but it's also a geared down unit. So I can benefit from that, but um, at the same time, I can, since the NEMA itself is bolted to the uh, feeder housing, which is itself the cold end that is water-cooled, that means that NEMA 14 is part of that water-cooled system as well. 
So that NEMA 14 gets, gets cold. And so I can run it at a higher amperage if I ever need to as well uh, to get the extra torque out of the smaller motor without ever having to worry about it heat up too. So if anybody else is having the wet noodle problem and really just wants to give up on it and wants a direct drive, um, go look at the H2. I've been very impressed with that system so far. But that's uh, that's been my experience with those three separate types of uh, you know uh, feeder drive feeder driven systems. So if anybody is curious, the uh, there's two kinds of gears inside it, inside of your extruder. There's a metal pinion gear and a plastic gear, and the plastic gear has a hobbed shaft on it, and that's what actually the hobbed shaft is what catches onto the plastic and feeds in it. That's the feed gear I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. and, and those all are different designs too. There are some that are direct where the, the hobbed gear is directly attached to the shaft of the NEMA itself. And there is no geared system. There is no, you know, cut no down or anything. Yeah. Like there's, there's no pin yeah. in between them. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's some other ones like the, um, I forgot the name of some of these things. My, TiVo Tornado originally came with a feeder that was all plastic geared on the inside. And uh, it only gripped the plastic from one side. And I found ones that do grip the plastic from both sides instead of having a, like a flywheel definitely are, are worth getting. Um, it's, really? it's really nice when you will skip steps on your NEMA instead of you know, tearing up the, the plastic filament itself because you're only gripping it from one side. Huh. Yeah, well, mine came with just a single, you know, it, it, <clears throat> it, it grips the filament just on the one side and feeds it through. So one thing I have noticed with that is I'll buy a dual filament, which is a filament that's like two, it's a two-tone filament, and mm -hmm. you run it through. And so let's say you want red on one side and blue on the other you're supposed to put it in the feeder in a certain direction to get, you know, blue on the back and red on the front. But what I've noticed is that because it's a single gear, the filament can move around. So okay. I'll end up with streaks as the filament was slowly move rotating. So I'll end up with some blue on the back and some blue on the front and some red on the back and some red on the front. Hmm. I've actually yeah. never heard of this dual filament. You got me curious. Oh, it's actually <laughs> kind of it's actually kind of cool. Yeah, they're pretty neat. Um, it would I've make seen sense all to kinds me, though. Of ads for dual filament printers. It does oh, make sense. No. So this Those is dual would be... filament. So <laughs> sorry, so, sorry yeah. I was what, I had to what, elaborate what, on what Chris Kevin is talking saying. about. Is the filament is there has got two colors on each side of the uh, the filament that's coming through the single extruder. Exactly. And what you were that's just talking about is two colored spools with two printer heads. Right. Okay. So Yeah. So I'm yeah. talking about the single filament with two colors. And if you put it through a single extruder with, you know, blue on the back and red on the front, you expect to get your part where... Uh, it's blue on the back and red on the front. Ish. So I don't even know how you would maintain that. That would be kind of a hard one to maintain. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying is if you have a dual geared system, it will keep it that same direction the whole time. 
No, I, I, I think to, it would. I, I, I think it would, I would still just as easy. Spin. Yeah, I think Be, it would because it, it's not. Easy. It's not oriented the same way on the spool all the way around the spool. So, okay, I, I would see there being some issues with that. Okay. Anyway, I, I that's just what I was kind of assuming is um, I don't have a good dual geared dual gear system, so you know my dual filament has have been moving around on me a little bit. So yeah, I, I don't really think that the dual would help with that problem. It, it more like would help if you have a problem with your filament, like if you got filament that varies in thickness from time to time. Sometimes those single-sided, you know, hobbed gears can cause you know problem slippage and things like that, or uh, under extrusion and things. When uh, when the double ones would kind of be able to compensate for that, but. I ran into some of my problems when I was talking about the wet noodle problem of being able to force that flexible plastic through the Bowden. And that takes a lot of extra force to push that through. And so that's one of the things that led me to find the dual dual geared ones because some of the single sided ones would just sit there and chew on the, the rubber itself and, and not be able to really push it through. And mm -hmm. as soon as I moved to the, the dual, I think my, my Winsys ones were, were dual hobbed, that uh, that became... It no longer chewed up the filament. Now I was running into problem with just losing steps on that stepper motor, which I could compensate with other, you know, ways of fixing the problem, which was kind of nice. But um, if you are looking for a new printer and have the option, always go with the dual hob system and not the ones that just use a straight hobbed gear for doing the plastic. I've seen a lot of these uh, cheaper. Chinese systems that it's they just basically using the teeth of a gear to drive the plastic through, and those ones are not very good at all. I would worry I would about those, those damaging the filament. Well, they all damage. I mean, if you gear. got a good, well, if you got a good hobbed system, it is going to be cutting into the filament as it pulls well, it through. Yeah, but I mean, like distorting, like cutting it up so it ends up going through the nozzle and the hot end in chunks instead of the continuous filament and it seems um, like it would be harder to control I with it going th through just a gear but if well, you got a good hob system if you looked at what comes out of it you're gonna see cuts in the plastic as it is the hob was gripping the plastic right, 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 and, right. I, and i think if you got the cheaper ones that were more like a gear you actually might not see that a whole lot okay um but they don't oh, grab it my, as good my current gear is actually leaving marks on my filament when I, you know, pull it out to change filament, you can see that. And I would imagine that if you have a dual hob, even with some relatively strong spring tension there, that either way, you wouldn't be able to cut through the filament. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd and still have some the, good solid filament down to the head. The new hobbed ones too are not straight where they grab the filament. They are cupped themselves. The actual cut the 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 cup for the hob itself is cupped so when it's grabbing the filament it's grabbing not just the face of the filament it's not like a razor blade grabbing the edge of the filament it's more like it's a toward uh, the end a little more conical yeah you know, yeah like, exactly yeah. so it's grabbing more around the the half uh, you know the half side of the half moon shape of yeah. the filament and pulling well, it down if you got a dual hobbed one then it's doing it on both sides 
And and really what I was just trying to say is with the gear, I would expect it to distort the more like filament so much. Well, even if it's just two two teeth bending the plastic around, that's distorting the filament so much that I, I wouldn't trust it to retract the right distance or, you know, that sort of thing, because there would be pieces in the bottom of your hot end instead of well, a filament connected to it to pull back. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, well you I have think... to understand how that works, Frank, is that um, you actually have a, a small conical area of melted plastic before it comes out of the extruder. Mm-hmm. So what happens is when you send a certain amount of filament in, it creates a pressure of mm-hmm. what's already melted in that conical area. So, you know, having a bit, a little bit of grip marks on one side or the other, isn't really going to change that. It's all about the pressure of the cold plastic being pushed into the already melted. All I'm saying is with the gears distorting the, the shape of the filament, I would expect that it would be a less predictable amount of filament in your hot end. And when it does the retraction, at least when I push it through manually, when I'm changing the filament, I'll push it in a little bit until it feeds out and then pull it back real quick. It'll take a bunch of that plastic that's in the hot end with it. And I expect a retraction would do the same thing to some degree. So it's not just relieving the pressure. It's pulling that little bit out of the hot end. Well, and... I, I think, too, that you're thinking that the gear is really like manipulating the plastic itself that's and what it, i would expect yeah yeah it, it's really not it, it is a gripping surface but it's it's doing it the same thing as the hobbed it's just a flat surface instead of a, a conical or a, a like a a, a half moon shape a half circle cut in the plastic it's just a straight edge so it's not grabbing nearly as much as the plastic but it's not I like also... warping the plastic or anything like that it's just yeah I would also expect the retraction amount to be considered into the engineering of the printer, you know, because let's say mine retracts like 0.01 millimeters, you know, yours might extract, you know, retract 0.03 or something like that based on, you know, curious settings parameters. Yeah. And so It'd Kira be like can if... say retract, and so Kira will say retract, and my printer will retract 0.01, yours will retract 0.03. You well, Kira is actually no uh, Kira. It's that's a that's setting. That's a configuration. The, the yeah. printer's not that smart. Now the printer <sighs> doesn't. Yeah, it's a dumb printer. The G code interpreter is just doing what it's told. That's Kira that's making up those right, values. Right, Kira. Kira says, okay, you have this this kind of printer, and then. Yeah, but Kira also says matter. retract this far, and yeah, you set your that's a configuration. Yeah, right. But Kira is the one that says, "Okay, you have this kind of printer. This kind of printer should retract this far, versus this other kind of printer should retract that that far." Right? No, yeah, no. To some you, degree, I mean, it's a profile. You could get a profile for a particular printer that has preset settings like that. But sure. I, I don't know if a lot of people but actually use those. I I, I can uh, I choose to retract one millimeter. Yeah. I tell it, this is how far to retract. It's not a... Oh, as opposed to what I do is I just let Kira run the defaults. 
for right. Thunder. Uh, so so yeah, th that's a, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's still cure as default. It's not the printer specific retraction. Yeah, uh, I I'm holding a, a cup here to kind of try to demonstrate something because I think something's getting missed here, and I, I'm saying to pretend this is a, a piece of plastic going through. A hobbed gear is more like a, a C-shape cut in the gear that's grabbing the plastic. And the, the, just using the gear that I was talking about is more just like a flat surface. But they're still going to be pushing against it just as hard and all that other kind of stuff. So the actual contact with the gear surface is very little with the plastic when the, the hobbed gear, you know, the, the conical ones do grab more of the filament. And then when it's a, two, a double hobbed gear, it's grabbing you know, both at the same time, pushing so it through. Yeah, so, so I don't think it'll actually manipulate the plastic and, and like be cutting off pieces or anything like that as it goes into the hot end. It's just right. a crappier way to grab the plastic and a cheaper thing to, to be able to cut and make than to make the, the conical kind. So yeah, it's two semi-circular gears or grabbing the plastic on both sides. So you're getting like 70 you know 75 percent gripping surface as opposed to the you know 20 to 30 ish that you get with a normal flat gear yeah exactly exactly okay yeah i've seen some of the cheaper ones from china come out with uh, without being the the half circle shape for that and i've tried one of them and it was just it was awful it doesn't grab the plastic at all fair well you know they say you get what you pay for. Yeah, that's true. But I'm a cheap bastard, so I gotta get make the cheapest stuff work for me. Except for you buy the wouldn't, cheap stuff wouldn't, and wouldn't then that fix mean, it yourself to make it work right. Wouldn't that mean <laughs> that your wife got what you, she paid for? Not. Yeah, she didn't pay for anything. That's why she ended up with this. <laughs> well, it, you said well, you're she a got cheap a steal. bastard, and she got you for super cheap. So. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that's just like. That's like finding a PlayStation Five on discount at Walmart for like ten bucks. You know, she 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 got one <laughs> hell of a steal there. Oh, that makes me feel good. I can walk away with a smile on my face with that one, Chrissy. Thank you. <laughs> well, he had to make up for the jab that I took. So, oh, <laughs> we tag team like that. <laughs> it's all good. That's what she says. <laughs> You just okay, keep you can give me stuff to censor out, Chris. I'm Ooh. sorry. That's like <laughs> you get on a roll three this episode. And... <laughs> sorry, I lost track. I'm just planning on you know cutting your whole track out. <laughs> no, awful. Oh. That's fair. <clears throat> you well, have you... been removed from this episode. <laughs> As someone who's really played with the different kinds of feeder options out there and really done a lot of different ones on their printer, um, the biggest thing you could, that I found success with is just going slower and using a pretty decent direct drive head and trying to still keep a good portion of the weight off the carriage that you can, but compensating with speed for any other of the you know, weight that you've got on it that's going to cause you problems. That's probably going to be the best solution. Anybody out there who's, you know, messing with their machines can can do. But but the way I'm looking at things now, it's just like Chris and Frank, both of the printers you bought, you bought cheaper printers at the time, and they're already direct drive systems. And when I bought mine, those were the expensive ones to buy. That's why I bought a Bowden system. So, well, I mean, and... 
mine is the third generation of its model too with creality yeah. so the first two as i understand it are your regular bowden printer yeah. and the the third generation they decided to make it direct drive um and well and you, you guys were admiring my uh um tie rods a little while ago Yes. I, I'm sure yeah. that they're on there. The more I've looked into it for this episode, they're on there because it's direct drive and all that extra weight could torque the frame. Yeah. So uh, well, with the control arms on it, then that rules are written sense. in. Yeah. Well, rules are written in blood and designs are one step away from that. So I'm pretty sure that they had made some designs and said, well, this isn't quite stable enough. And that's why they threw those on there. I would accept that, yeah. So, yeah, Andy was talking about, you know, how the direct drive system is so much is so much better. And actually, you know, at, on this link that you, you know, were given us to look at earlier this week, Andy, you know, um, the only pros that a Bowden system has over a direct drive is that it's got cleaner movements, quote unquote. Uh, to a larger build volume. But, you know, if you have a well-balanced system on a direct drive, that kind of moots the point of the, Actually, yeah. the pros. You so, know, you say all of that, and I've talked about moving my my proximity sensor down to the carriage, and maybe maybe that's why they put the proximity sensor where they did is because it's not a whole lot of weight. It's only, uh, I don't know, maybe five ounces, six yeah. at the most. It's not heavy, but it might be enough that it would just make the carriage awkward. And yeah. they didn't it's want all it about the amount of Yeah, it's all about the amount of offset waste, weight versus movement. I mean, anyone that's worked on an engine knows this. Yeah. So... If you have a if if you have so much as you know half an ounce on piston four added, you know versus piston one, that will give you such an offset on your motor that you will blow your bearings and your engines toast. Yeah, well, and the camshaft can't move at any reasonable speed when crankshaft. it's got. Yes, sorry, the crankshaft can't move at any reasonable speed. If it's not perfectly balanced, exactly. So yeah, and so it's a similar concept with your with your printer. You but you know it moves slower, obviously. But if you start adding weight off off of the carriage, one side or the other, if it's offset or whatever, as it moves across, and also as it moves across, if there's weight not toward the actual center of weight, it causes that to move a little bit going to torque it yeah and if you look at most of our carriages they are all hanging off on one side so that that is like a real problem especially for uh printers like ours the bed slingers you know where you've only got the the gantry just sitting on those, those you know two legs i mean mm. it makes sense why they build them like the way they build franks with the extra a-frame support yeah because in the end it's all about triangles right <laughs> Amen. Pythagoras would be proud. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, we have passed an hour. Um, Has anybody got anything that we've missed come to mind? Not right off the bat. No. I'm tired for this episode, so I'm sure there's a lot that I would have loved to have rambled on if I wasn't exhausted. But uh, I feel like we actually... This is an episode that required some research, I think, even for those of us that had some experience with it. Actually, I did a lot of research, and I have no experience with it, and I found some stuff about Kevin's printer I didn't even consider. That was some interesting information. I'm glad you brought that kind of stuff up. Um, It did occur to me that we've hit pretty much all the high-level topics in the first 10 of the show. Yeah. So we're... The rest of the topics from here are going to be drilling down to some degree or another to more specific, more in-depth subjects. So, yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> yep. You're going to have to do more research, Chris. <laughs> oh, and and we'll, we'll, we'll just... uh that school is over. We'll all just <laughs> tell Gate after the research you do to have peanut gallery comments. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's weird because usually I'm the peanut gallery. <laughs> well, it's about time the tables were turned on you then. Dang. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, so, we would like to thank everybody for listening. Unless Chris has something else to say. Nope, nope. You finish her up because I'm pretty I'm pretty done. Stick a fork in me. Yeah, I'd like to see it actually be done. (laughs) There's always something to be said. You want me to stick a fork in him? No, you're closer. (laughs) All right. We would like to thank everyone for listening to the very end, especially with the rambling and all the other tangents we took. If you liked this episode, please give us all the stars. And if you have any feedback or if you have any content requests, please let us know at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. You can also find us in our Facebook group, Amateur3dpod. Or you can reach us individually at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at amateur3dpod.com. Until next time, we're going offline. It's over!